0: Welcome back to another edition, Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. I'm your sub, your host, your sub host, uh, Brad Lominick, stepping in for Ray and the team. Welcome back to this journey. Hope you've been downloading all the other episodes. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. There's lots of great episodes so far, lots of great interviews, and this is going to be another one. Now, in this episode, Andrew McCourt, who is a senior pastor at Bayside, and uh, one of the, the key leaders within the Bayside and Thrive movement, sits down with Joe Saxton. And Joe is an author, speaker, podcaster as well, and a coach of leaders born to Nigeria parents and raised in London. She brings multicultural and international perspective to her leadership training. She speaks all over the world. She speaks for churches, for nonprofits and corporations. She's co-host of the podcast Lead Stories and the founder of the Easer Collective, her new book, most recently released this year, Ready to Rise. So if you would, get your moleskin out, buckle up, and get ready, because this is going to be a great conversation, lots of good insight, Andrew McCourt sitting down with author, speaker, podcaster, and coach, Joe Saxton.
1: Well, I am excited about today. Uh, because our special guest, um, I'm a big fan of hers. I've heard her speak at the Thrive Conference on a number of occasions. And each time she's spoken, uh, it's been absolutely riveting. But not only because of her content, everybody, it's because of her accent. She's also from across the pond originally. Uh, Joe is from um, London. Um, I'm from Nigerian parents that moved to London, made that incredible journey. But she also, like me, made the jump over here to America. Joe is a remarkable speaker, and I really encourage you get onto YouTube, get her stuff. Uh, uh, she will inspire you, especially in the season. She's going to lift your spirits. She's a podcaster, she is an author, she's an incredible coach. And today she is going to coach us. So, Joe, great to see you. How are you doing?
2: Doing all right. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? We've tried to make this happen a few times, and I'm so glad it is happening today. Uh, How is just life with you? Uh, You're married, uh, you know, you've got an incredible ministry. How's life going for you?
2: Um, I think, like everybody, whatever plans and visions I had for 2020, I think I set fire to at some point because (laughs) life did that on my behalf. Um, Right now, everybody is in the house. Um, My kids are. At school, just above me. Um, my husband is at work, just around the corner from them. The dog is wondering why we're all here and yeah. why he's not getting any attention and why he's being shushed all the time. So, so yeah, we are we are doing it. Um, whether we're doing it well, we'll see. But we're doing it.
1: That's fantastic. Well, I, I'm like you. I just got a warning from my internet provider the other day that I was approaching my limit and that I would get charged extra millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: Simple. Well,
1: Joe, we're going to jump right into this. And and I was saying just a minute ago, every time you've come to Thrive, um, you've got remarkable content, incredible delivery. And we don't say this to every single person. You're, you're a natural communicator. You're able to take the Bible, make it come alive, make it relevant to today and communication as we know right now is a very important thing it's just not from the stage with a microphone but it's how we do it you know on social media podcasts do you want to just coach us for a minute on some of uh, joe's top tips on communication
2: <laughs> oh joe's top tips um oh gosh i think the first thing i would say to us is although the vehicle has changed the vehicles that we're using may have changed because of social distancing, legal requirements, et cetera, et cetera. The call is still the same, you know, that we communicate out of a calling, out of a sense that God has appointed us and anointed us and um, compelled us to share something or another, whether that's with people who aren't of faith, whether that's people in business, that the fuel is still the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, the first encouragement is always to, ask yourself how connected you are to the one who's given you things to say, you know? Um, mm. And I think that's particularly distinctly challenging in this time. Our methods, our ways of preparing may have changed because we don't have the privacy. We don't have the energy. We don't have the capacity we once did. Um, everything feels a little bit slow and awkward. But if there, if there's a calling, I, I, I start with the calling because if there's a calling, then you know I, I, and i don't know who said it it's too I, I just know it's too long for me to say it's mine you know he who calls will equip do you know what i mean he who anno- who appoints will anoint that kind of thing yeah. and um and i think that is a great foundation place from where we go because everything else feels nuts do you know what i mean everything else may feel awkward um and then so that would be my first thing and then i would say um you know, there are, there's going to be this ongoing challenge for us as we consider what it means to communicate in a physical space and a digital space. Mm. Um, I am really not good at technology. I, um, I really love sound people and light people and other people who are operating in their excellence and just telling me exactly where to stand and what to do. And now we find ourselves in, in a, in a, in a climate, in a situation where we're having to learn. And we may not have had to learn this for, for a long time. And so I want to encourage us to, um, because the call is important, because it's just the vehicle and you may be used to driving your favorite vehicle and now you've got some weird thing that makes mm. odd noises, um, to get, get help in the learning. I w- it would be my next thing. What are the things you need to learn? Do you need to learn about lighting in some strange way? Do you need to learn about, um, a, a particular format and um but and again you might you might have decided i don't do social media i don't do instagram i don't do instagram by by trade i do living but if pe- if that's where people are um, yeah. maybe the lord will send us there so i think there i think in this era it's a time to hold everything with open hands and just say and there's a prayer um a covenant prayer that John Wesley used that and wrote, I think he wrote it. And I think the Methodist church has said, said it for years ever since. And it begins, I am no longer my own, but yours put me to what you will rank me with whom you will let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. that is probably our needs to be our MO right now. Anyway, you know, um, in our communication, like God, I'm not, I, I, I used to look real good on those stages where the lighting hit me. Just so now I just look awkward, but if you can empower me, to serve somebody else. If I can show, I used to go to people's houses. Now I show up for Insta- on an Instagram live and Facebook, and I just feel awkward and self-conscious. But if I can serve you, if I can serve people, if I can come alongside new people, if I can reach people who I would have never reached, then I'm in because that, that's why we did this for, wasn't it? That's why we yeah. got in this communication game in the first place. Um, so those are my initial thoughts. I'm sure there are others. Maybe ask, ask me another question. Maybe I'll think of something
1: more constructive. Yes. Well, yeah, <laughs> we, we can circle up again. Uh, but when you were talking there, you mentioned John Wesley, you mentioned the Methodist church, and I believe that actually you became a Christian in the mm-hmm. Methodist church. Do you want to just talk a little bit about your story and how you came to faith?
2: Yeah, I was a kid Um, I was nine years old And there was a local church near Where we grew up in London Where I grew up in London And I was also the class bully At um, school Um, and, And you know you know, in school, sometimes you just tag on things and take turns. It was just my turn in the classroom to be the obnoxious person. I do believe. I think everybody had a turn. Anyway, during my turn, somebody decided I needed God, so <laughs> I got invited to church, and they uh, <laughs> I got invited to church, and it was a kids' club ministry thing, and um, it was this church, which, um, and you'll be familiar with the um, with some of these churches, which had huge building. 35 people in it. Mm -hmm. You know what it's like on across the pond. Um, and, but the children's ministry and the leaders there, I mean, talk about the world was not worthy of them. They were so on fire for God. Um, and they bought, they invited kids. They took you very seriously. They took kind of everything seriously, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> but, um, they, you, if you went to the Bible study four times, you'd get a free Bible, but normally you were a Christian by then because they were kind of evangelizing from the moment you set in through the door. And I remember them talking about Jesus and him coming into your heart and me being absolutely horrified about the open heart surgery that would be required to come to faith because language is still everything friends. And, um, and then, um, but then saying to them, maybe a month or two in saying, Hey, if you have one of those events, um, where you, at the end of your meeting, tell people about the gospel, give them an opportunity to come to faith. I'll become a Christian then. So why don't you tell me when you do that date, I'll bring a friend, we'll become Christians. And that's what happened.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. Let's just explore your story a little bit because I I think you can coach us on communication, but I I believe that you can coach us on the whole idea of diversity, cultural diversity too. So your parents were originally from Nigeria and they made a massive move to London. And then you made a move from London all the way to the United States. What are some of the lessons that you have learned on the way? I mean, that's a long way from like Lagos to London through to Minneapolis. What 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 have you picked up along the way?
2: Um. I mean, it, it certainly gives it certainly gives you a picture of things. I think that sense of the world isn't your home, and you, where your citizenship is definitely um, a certain part of my experience and my journey for sure. Um, I would say for us as church, our language and our perception of immigrants. I have been the child who grew up watching people thinking that my parents, my cousins, my uncles, my family were stealing their jobs. The mm. children aren't deaf folks. Um, yeah. They hear that stuff too. Um, I, have, it, I have seen the jobs and the multiple jobs families did to give their kids a better life um, and the grit and the resilience involved. And and just the wonder of learning about a new place and another story as well. So I I think that those those are the things that I'm I'm mindful of when I think of, think of that journey. Um, I mean, the world's a big place. <laughs> I mean, the world's a big yeah. place, and God wants to do lots of things in it. And um, and the way we welcome can impact generations. I would say. I think that that's probably the, the thing I'm most mindful of in this moment as a mother now as a as an immigrant in another space, um, the way we welcome, and I had a very different welcome here, but, um, the way we welcome it is, is can be, can redefine a family's life. And I think in these moments where we are trying to find fresh ways to, to, to communicate with people, what, what's our posture towards welcome to the other, to the stranger, to the different, to the, um, to the one who doesn't naturally fit our landscape, but is is part, made in the image of God, um, I think those, those that that's the the initial thing that comes to my mind.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, coaches in this area for for me, this is absolutely critical. Um, what do you believe that leaders are missing in the conversation at the moment around women in the church and women in leadership? Because. Joe, when we've been around you, you know you're you're, you're strong, you're co- um, you're confident. You are clearly called of God. Uh, what has that journey been like for you, and what what do we need to do in this conversation? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, th- thank you for asking that question, first of all, because uh, I think that is one of the things. I think that is really crucial that as leaders, we're asking these questions and asking for the lived experience of the women around them. Um, uh, so I'll say with the journey first, and then I'll say the, the 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 key things to be watching in this cultural moment as well, because there's some nuance mm. in this cultural moment that we're in. So in terms of the journey, I would say it's been the. Um, I I think it's because you and I are talking. I keep on having Brit, Brit illustrations. I I I was thinking of Dickens and him talking about the best of times and the worst of times, okay. and I think it has been the worst of times in the sense. I I remember speaking at a church and a guy coming up to me, I was part of a team, a um, a mission team. And, um, and he said, he, he said when I heard there was going to be a Joe, I thought it was going to be a man. And then he turned around and walked off. And that may have been the fullness of his theological conviction, but his theological conviction is allowed to have social skills is allowed, is allowed to be kind, (laughs) is allowed to not bully Yep. Um, is allowed to not say that to a 19 year old girl mm. and, and storm out the building and slam the door. Um, and is allowed to be kind. Um, there's, there are certain things we can all agree on and just being a a, a kind person could be one of them. Um, the worst of times in terms of it's when a, when a woman, when a woman is responsible, when all of us are responding to a call, we, we count the cost. I would say when a woman is responding to a call and she's the only woman in that environment, um, the only woman in that room, it's a vulnerable space to be. Um, we, It's hard to... Uh, who is it? It's Marion Wright Edelman who said this. She said, it's hard to be what you can't see. And so there can be a second guessing of all these ideas and dreams and things that you feel called to because you haven't seen anyone do it yet. Is it because you shouldn't? Is it because you couldn't? Mm. You, when you're hearing the stories of people in the Bible, you're like, uh, and and you hear a woman's story in the Bible, an Esther, a Deborah, a Hulda, a Lydia, a Phoebe, a Priscilla, an Eve, a Miriam or whoever. And they come around pretty rarely. Well, yeah. um, is it because their stories and example have nothing to say to the people of God? Um, but we need these, these pictures, these mirrors. And one of my friends, uh, and our, one of my friends um, who is a transracial adoptee, and she says in that community, they talk about mirroring and how it's important for someone who's been adopted of another ethnicity um, to have within her wider extended family, someone of the same ethnicity, because it reminds you of who you are. Often for women leaders, you don't see yourself you don't see other people doing what you do and it, can, and it can leave you with questions. It can leave you wondering whether you need to be extra good, how you're meant to make connections. You want to be respectful of boundaries, but who's going to mentor you? And more than mentor you, who is going to sponsor you? Who's going to put your name forward to say, this is someone we want to offer an opportunity to or get behind or encourage or train. And I think we, and I'll, I think we have to think of those things. The best of times for me have been when my gifts have been celebrated and not tolerated. Mm. The best of times have been when leaders have said, look, honestly, I don't know what it's like for women in leadership. Tell me what it's been like for you. Tell me what your story is. Um, tell, help me understand how we can do this in a way, partly because I just want to be faithful to God's call on my life to see you raised up <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, when, when we have remembered it's, there's a kingdom imperative to play our part in the great commission. Yeah. The worst of times have been when it's been assumed that because before God, I, I've pursued a calling that it's out of some grasping for something. Um, which is a lot of things to say about somebody's character when you've never met them and <laughs> you've never met them. And so the only thing I really grasp for a carbs, to be brutally honest, I, the rest I'm not as bothered by, um, So I think that's been some of the, some of the things there has been, sometimes it's been costly in terms of friendship. Sometimes it's been a vulnerability. When I was single, it's like, you know, if I want to settle down, do I need to settle down (laughs) in terms of how I behave and all of these things? Um, it's, it's not been an easy, an easy place to be. Um, Mm -hmm. you do it because you love the Lord. I do it because he, I, I, you know, he called me to pick up my cross daily and deny myself and follow him. And that's a in, in, in part of that. I think in terms of what right now, the cultural moment, a lot of the data about um, COVID-19 and how it's an impacting family life and how it's restructuring family life um, and our whole life is that we're finding that um, that although everything's come home, women are doing a lot more, are still doing a lot more of a lion's share of House management, family management, checking on relatives, all of those sorts of things. And that level of tiredness has an added layer Mm. um, in this moment that women who are going forward in certain places in their careers may be stepping back. Because how do you make it all work? Um, And when we have an individualized picture of leadership like... um, I think it was at Thomas Carlyle, who was a Scottish historian, talked about the great man theory, that history was built off individuals, which is a really lovely idea. But, it, you know, when we think of all of our heroes of history, there's always a community around them. And so I think, I, I think one of our challenges is we're looking at women and as we're looking at who've often been this invisible um, community leaders of churches or within churches, the invisible foot soldiers in churches, the invisible, um, connectors in churches, what is the added pressure that they're currently under going to mean for us as communities?
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's-
2: um, I think that's an important one. What does it mean for our mental and emotional health? Um, what is breaking point and where will, when is that going to happen and how is that happening? I spoke to a therapist about, and just talking to her about these things and she said she's seeing more and more women talk about just the sheer threadbare nature of their souls and their beings in this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, because there is just, there wasn't, there wasn't much margin anyway, and there's more now. Um, I think with women in leadership, I would, I would just encourage all of us men and women to say, if you, you know, I, I want to respect the fact that there is a continuum of thought on this and I'm not here to persuade anybody to think like me, we ain't got time for that. We'll all, we'll all shake hands in heaven and we won't care. Mm -hmm. But, um, but live up to what you do believe. What you, if whatever you do believe, invest in that. So if you believe that women are called to, and can, and can be called to speak, what is your training program for that to happen? If you believe, um, that, that there are, that women can that their ministry and mission is in the context of serving other women. What is your investment and how will they engage theologically? How will they get the tools to analyze and critique the culture? How will they be skilled and equipped for what they're going to do? Will they have access to leadership development, to training that is actually for their life? Do you know what I mean? Um, it's when I'm in these spaces and people say, Oh, I can't find the women. I'm like, well, where? if they are part of the village, helping their spouse or their son or their father go and do that mission stuff, what does it look like for a woman when, when they're coming to it? I mean, <laughs> when we all come to events, we'll all weep just for the joy of getting out of our houses. But, but in terms of when I'm thinking of going to an event. There are meals that I'm planning. There is a kid up there who's one kid who's sitting here, who's got swimming, one kid who's sitting over there, who's got volleyball. There's a husband over here who's doing this. And, and I think we've just got to think of even our, our modes of leadership development, our training vehicles, do they give us access to everybody? Mm. Are they, or, or do they invite a particular type of person with a particular income and freedom of movement so, that, and, and we think that's them having skin in the game when actually it might be more to do with about sheer availability.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I just want to encourage us to think, and it will look different for our different contexts. So I don't want to be too prescriptive. I just want to, I think sometimes to get the answers, we just need to know what other questions to ask. And yeah. that's the question I would encourage us to ask yeah. in this time.
1: I'm not saying this is the ideal scenario or Mm. or situation we want to be in, but for the majority of churches here in the U S at least Mm. it it is, they have a male leader. How how would you coach them? Because they're obviously leading women. Uh, How would you coach them at this time? What would, what would you want to say to them? How, how can they become a better leader and create greater parity?
2: Okay. Well, I think there are a number of things I think. Um, I would first encourage them, is there a way you can find out the lived experience of the people of your community, the women in your community? And some people may hold back because of fear of retribution. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So where are the safe spaces? Like, like, do you really want to hear what it's like? Because sometimes we do things, all of us do things, and we don't intend to do that, but intent doesn't change the impact. So, um, so some of it will be a listening work that we need to do to hear mm. the, lib- and the lived experience of different generations of women, different ethnicities, di- do you know I mean? different perspectives. And um, that's one thing I would ask you in your sermons or, 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 or no, let me, let me pull back in the places of your church that you celebrate that people see as the most important are women ever there. Because if mm. you say you value all the leaders and everything and oh, leaders can do everything, but everybody really knows it's the pulpit, <laughs> then Is it just on Mother's Day? Now, rock on on Mother's Day. I think Mother's Day is hilarious. The one time I saw a child punch another child in the sermon I was giving was during Mother's Day, and they were sat right in front of me. It was a fantastic time. However, if you are saying, but also not every woman is a mother. Mm -hmm. Not, Not every woman is a mother. And there are many women who avoid church on that day because of the agony of prolonged infertility, because of the agony of their story because of the agony of their experience so you checking in on mother's day is not necessarily checking in on women as a whole Um, i would encourage you know i would encourage you in the in the don't get me wrong i love hearing about daniel i love hearing i love bible characters it's my thing it's a fun thing for me my favorite of the year this right now is barnabas that's my rock on favorite however it was too why was i at bible college when i heard about what priscilla was up to Mm. Why, why did it take me to go to Bible college and do, why was I in the Greek when I learned about junior in Roman in Romans? Why, um, wh- how come it took so long before I heard who they were and their stories and, and the, their triumphs, their trials, their temptations, their faithfulness to the King of Kings. Why did it take so long? Well, it's because no one told their stories. And so I would encourage us just on the breadth of our teaching to consider, can we, can we sprinkle the sisters through? Um, And, you know what I mean? And not just Mother's Day and the Magnificat. And don't get me wrong, the Magnificat is awesome and I could do it all day long. But you you see what I'm saying on that? So I think that, that there's that part. And then I would say... Encourage, 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 encourage. Because there are many voices telling women what to be, what to do, how to look, what to wear, how- and and when a woman is thinking about her leadership, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna hazard a guess at this. Um, but I'm pretty sure this is the guess. When a woman senses a calling to anything, public or private, there is a whole other track in her head happening. Who do I think I am? Who's going to invest in me? How am I going to get there? How am I going to make this work? How's this going to work? What are people going to think? Am I asking too much? Am I not enough? Will I ever be enough? Will I learn enough? How do I do enough? And it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot because there are, there are lots of voices. And I can't speak to the voices that men hear about their calling because I've, but I can tell you what women hear and I can tell you that, um, that we don't live, any of us live beyond what we believe about ourselves. So if you, you may think because you said something once say, Hey women, if you want to do stuff, if there are things that you feel God calling, come and tell me that that is like a whisper compared to the trains that are going past in their mind and the noise of all the stuff, which has told a woman what she shouldn't be and why she shouldn't be. So good. You have no idea the sheer spiritual battle it is to show up and that's not your fault. That's, and you are not to blame. You are not, this is not by way of accusation. You are not to blame. I'm just saying, brothers, let me, let me let you in on what this world looks like and the hot mess that it is because some of these things are going to take some prayer, some fasting and some significant diligence on our part to, um, well, we don't win wars on half an army, put it that way. It's yeah. really, you know what I mean? There is one who stands to lose by us not living into the fullness of our God-given wiring and potential. There is one, and it's not, and there is, I, I often ask myself, you know, um, and, I, and I, this is why I often ask, just um, ask people, what, what's not happening because these women aren't living, you know, what businesses aren't being launched? What ministries aren't being started? What churches aren't being planted? What financial um, things that are already happening aren't being resourced? What what what's hap- what books aren't being written? What songs aren't being created? All because someone has whispered. And when I say someone, I do mean the enemy. You're too much. You're not enough. Who do you think you are? If you really think you're called, you you just hold back, and they'll find you. And 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 what I often find with women is that they're waiting to be chosen and told because maybe that way it's less painful. And the problem with that is that that is Disney. That is not the Bible. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like waiting for god charming to come along to call you out into your calling or something i'm like oh, it's not it's not quite the great commission but i see how we got there yeah i see how sorry you asked oh. <laughs> I just, i'm gonna sip some water for a second it, it, it
1: is brilliant and um, i mean just as you're talking about this on a personal level my daughter's about to apply for college and uh, she's got her mother's brains and talents you know so she, she's got, she can go places but she's looked at international law, uh, quite a number. Of, but then last night, she, for the first time, said, I wonder if I should look at theology. And it was the only time as she's talked about career choices that I thought, I, want, I mean, I'm excited. But I thought, I wonder if it could be limiting. And I really had to, it like slightly grieved me. When she talked about international law, I thought she could be employed across the world. She could lead businesses and do whatever. But when it came to theology, I thought, I wonder if there would be a limitation. And uh, so I want to thank you, Joe, because you're breaking the limits just as a, a, a really a God-called person, a, a gift of Christ to his body. And, and you do it so effortlessly. And and uh, um, we, we're just so proud to partner with you here at Thrive. So and, yeah. Talk to me on this one here, just as a pastor and as a leader. Uh the greatest challenge at the moment, you know, what, what how how what's that like for you? How are you battling that?
2: You know, I, I heard something really helpful the other day. I mean, it's helpful, but it's a bit miserable, but bear with me. Um, and it was um Andy Crouch talking about and he was talking about the North American context. So American brothers and sisters, you can hit me down if I'm wrong on this. And he said that um, that um North America, and by extension, the church, is very good at acute situations. So there's an emergency in your church. That meal train will be running. There'll be GoFundMes. Things will be raised to help you. Because what the context isn't as great at is the chronic.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: When something, is, when, if that person needs help for 25 years, um, we are a solutions-oriented culture. We like fixing things. And we are finding ourselves in a moment where fixing isn't easy where fixing isn't possible, where we are dealing with an emerging landscape that sometimes certain things get clear and then the dust and the fog covers it over again. And we're dealing with chronic realities. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has been helpful for me to recognize that because it's um, and it helped. And it's been another layer of grief for me as a leader in this moment of what does it look like to walk, to recognize the circumstances we're in, um, are more chronic than we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. We don't have a vaccine yet. Um, the COVID has revealed the fault lines in society where there aren't any easy, easy answers, easy <clears throat> solutions. Um, and it's made me, as, as a leader, it's made me say, okay, what, what does my prayer life look like for the long haul? Um, how, do, how does Hope Deferred not make this heart sick? in this one and how, what are my spiritual rhythms and practices that deal with the heart sickness of, of things not working out the way I want. I heard someone say, I think it was on an Instagram thing saying grief is a bit like popcorn. It's just so unpredictable. Um, but am I poised? You know, what am I doing with the tiredness right now? How am I walking with, um, with the weariness just the sheer load of grief of, 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 I I used to know how to minister. I used to, I used to know what it looked like. It's not, I'm not saying it was formulaic, but there was a level of skill and experience. There were a level of things I could speak into, but now I'm in an unclear landscape. Mm. I'm in an unclear way. Um, There are things that are deeply shifting within our world and we've not arrived yet. And that can be quite debilitating because it's tempting to want to lead for a world that no longer exists. Yeah. And the people of God are called to be prophetic, not defined by the nostalgic. And mm-hmm. I have to keep on asking myself as a leader, is the choice I'm making, is the way I'm walking nostalgic, which is understandable. I mean, you know, Andrew, you and I were talking, we, we start chatting about good times in the UK and all the food we ate. Do you know what I mean? And we talk about the fish and chip shop and did you like cod or did you like, do you know what I mean? Not, it's not, and Marks and the, uh,
1: Spencers, Marks and Mark, Spencers food.
2: I mean, standing ovation for Marks and Spencers alone. <laughs> just alone. I, I want to hold a moment's silence for Marks and Spencers. It's so <laughs> glorious, but we don't live there now. No. And so as much as we dream about how good it was, we've got to get food today <laughs> and it's got to be here. And I think in the same way for us as leaders, um, there's got to be more than when we things are back to normal or I, uh, there's got to be more than like quick adaptations, although they're valuable, then they're a bridge to the future. There is, there is the ongoing seeking. There's the, how do we rebuild the deep, the deep fault lines of a broken world? And how will Jesus make things new in this moment? And that, that does mean some seeking and that does mean some praying. And that means some experimenting. Um, that means some asking some questions about our money and how we're doing. Um, that means, um, some listening and lamenting, you know, um, all of that's involved right now. Yeah. yeah sorry. And, I, and I'm not saying that to be hopeless.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I'm saying that because one lament is part of the scriptures and, and it's, um, it, it's just, it's part of the reality. Um, but I, I say that because this could take a while, <laughs> This is taking longer than any of us wanted. Do you remember those days when we thought by the fall it'd be back to normal? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, we, I'm not sure we're even aware of all the ramifications yet. So we have to be listeners and observers and prayers in this moment. And, and I think it keeps us humble because we don't have all the answers. We don't. Yeah. We don't very- have many.
1: Hey, uh, some of the things you're saying are brilliant, nostalgic, prophetic. Uh, I'll be using that, and I will not mention your name beside it. Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> ah! public <laughs> uh, domain. It's public. Yeah. but but that whole idea of you know a, a crisis and the chronic. Of, you know, um, Pastor Ray was talking to us as a staff this morning, and he said, you know, at first we 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 just um, we we thought this was a blizzard, and then yeah. it became a winter. Mm. And we're wondering, is this going to become an ice age? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's a very interesting take on, on the church, it's just good at that sort of snap reaction. Whereas in years past, there wasn't quick fixes, and we needed to open orphanages and we yeah. needed to do long term and hospitals. That's what we did. We started yeah. the hospitals. Yeah. You know? Well, mm. what do you, I and mean, is it part of our culture? Because it's Amazon Prime today, quick fix. Everything is just a, a tweetable thing, 140 characters. What, what is it that we need to learn in this moment about longevity and sticking with it?
2: Um, you know what? I have to say, this is where I have drawn on the immigrant story and those members of my family in a way I never expected. Because when my mum and, and my dad and my aunts and uncles landed in England, they knew the language but it was a very unfamiliar landscape. There were new ways of doing things. There, were new of people, there was lots of misunderstanding. The climate was completely different. To go from Lagos, where it's like like 40 degrees, to go to England, which is four seasons in one hour, <laughs> kind of thing, yeah. um, was part of their reality. There were so many adjustments, and, and not, every, not every relationship survived the journey. It was really tough. Um, but one thing I do remember, and it used to be on Sunday nights when they used to braid my hair, um, the aunts would get together and they'd be sharing advice and some of it was like about love lives and some of it was where you got your food, what places were safe, what things were, um, where you, um, where you should work connections. There was something about the village they rebuilt again. Mm. There was something about the extended family and these aunties and uncles, not all of us are related by blood. Um, Not all of them Nigerian now, they're from different communities, different tribes, but it was this this community of people who were, we're not fully at home in this world. We're not fully of this place, but this is where we're rooted and this is where we're raising our people. And so these are the things, these are the non-negotiables that we must keep and we can't keep them in the same way we did when we lived back home, Mm -hmm. but we will build home here. And I think what it's made me think of for us is that we need to build villages. We need to build, who, who's, who are your people who are share like, like little communities that are brain trusts for you. Um, Mm -hmm. who are talking, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm not seeing. What do you think of that article? This is what I'm learning here. This is how I can navigate my way ahead. This is the pressure this is putting me under and I'm about to lose it right now. Um, if I think that is, I, whilst I don't know how, where we're going, I think that's a key part of how we'll get there. Um, I think um, that that's a key part of our story and part of the part of our community's response for us, for each other, but for the world around us as well. When I say that now, I can't fully remember the question. So do let me know if I missed something.
1: Oh no, no. You're, 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 you're so captivating here. Tell us about your, uh, your new book. It's called ready to rise. And we we just love the subtitle, which is on your voice, gather your community, which you were talking about, and step into your influence?
2: Well, first of all, may I recommend to all of you that if ever you want to release a book, try not to release it at the start of a global pandemic, because you will find that it's rubbish. (laughs) It's really unhelpful. It's really unhelpful. And that all your plans will crumble. (laughs) All of them. And then just when you're hanging on to the last thing, that'll crumble. Uh, so anyway, thank you, but thank you for this group therapy moment. I really appreciate you. All. <laughs> um, uh, the book emerged out of lots of conversations with women um, when I was at events, um, at like Thrive Conference and um, and others, where I met a number of women asking, "How? How do I make this work? How do I?" how, um, how do I respond to a sense of call in the midst of a changing world? What does God ask of me at this time? I, I'm, I'm here, I'm available. I've got my hands, my feet, I've got my life. What does it look like to make my God given contribution? His, um, get his commissioned contribution. Um, and so that was the, that was the thing about it. And it was just this sense at the time Um, that it's important to equip us to be ready to rise into that moment. And for some of us, it's rising from the ashes of a challenging story. For some of us, because we've got great things to do. I had no idea what we would be dealing with and what we'd be rising towards. Um, But I did know that the landscape for women was changing um, and and that there were challenges every day and that we needed to be ready. We needed to be equipped and that owning your voice may be speaking. I mean, when we look at most of the, our heroes of faith in the Bible, they're not preaching sermons. They're speaking truth to power at work. They are bringing a prophetic perspective in their relationships. And so it's, uh, it's really important that we understand what God's placed in us. Um, I'm one, uh, and I wanted to just give some practical, practical help and resourcing to women who, who felt I, I, I don't even feel comfortable with the word leader. I'm just always in charge of things. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm always given responsibility. And for the men who wanted to invest in them as well, who were like, I, I don't know where to start. I want us, I want us to ha- put something into people's hands to say, here, let's have a talk about that. Because it because then you can criticize the book and have the conversation you need. You know, that that mm. um, that was the main thing. But I feel it's a, I feel now um, in this moment, whoo. I think it's what we need. We need... I think it's tempting to hide in times like this. It's tempting and very, very, very understandable to be immobilized by these circumstances. I don't know how many times you guys have all been in the fetal position in tears in the past Mm. six months, but I know I have been more than once where I have just sobbed for the unknown. I've sobbed for the fact that I was planning on going to England and seeing my family this year and I don't know when that will be. I sobbed that I have a new niece I've not met yet. I sobbed because I'd lost income. I sobbed because I didn't know where the lost income, whether it was coming, back. And some of the dreams that I had won't be coming back. I sobbed for those as well. I, um, and, but I feel in, in, in this moment that actually, um, just one glance at the news cycle will remind us that we actually need bigger dreams right now. Mm. Just one look at the news cycle. We need innovations. We need strategies and the history of crisis and and chronic situations in society will will remind us whether it's devastations of wars or natural disasters, that the next thing that comes are innovations. Mm -hmm. May we be innovators in this moment. You know what I'm saying? May we, you and I, men and women, every generation, none of this ageism stuff where we all age out at 50, but, um, all of us, um may we be innovators in this moment may we be seeking the face of God and asking questions of the culture and asking questions of the word so that when people are, are gasping for breath which they already are and when people are not sure where to go that we're there mm. and that we have a clue Do you know what I mean yeah. that we're present that we show up and we have a clue um I think that's important for us at this time. And, and it's tempting to be like, God, help me survive. Do you know what I mean? I just want to survive get me through. Like, I'm like, can I have a preview to 2021? Is it going to be better? Or do I just need to stay buried under my quilt? Do you know what I mean? That, those are the tempting things at this moment. But I think God is calling us to greater courage, um, and calling us to Ask him what our next steps are towards not just seeing a new landscape, but what are we going to build on it? Yeah. Maybe we don't build orphanages, Maybe we, but maybe we do. Maybe we build schools. Maybe we build um, wellness centers because people's mental and emotional health is completely fragmented. Maybe we build meals. Maybe, I don't know. But may it be us who build something. Let's yeah. not be just trying to copy the culture later. Let's, let's go shape some things for the glory of God.
1: Fabulous. Yeah, okay, I'm going to close with this question because it, I, I, you earlier on, you talked about a building a village and, and you talk about the uh, five relationships every leader needs. What what are those five relationships?
2: That's great that you asked me that question, Andrew, because now I'm like, what are they? Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> what are those
2: relationships? I'm like looking, where did I put that in the book? Um...
1: Well, give us one or two of them. Essential relationships.
2: uh, Yeah, essential ones. I'm going to say you need relationships. And this is not a quote original to me, um, but it talks about children needing roots and wings. I think leaders need roots and wings. Mm -hmm. They're the relationships that keep you grounded. Um, I want to ask if each of us have a place to process pain in this moment of our lives a place to process pain. Um, I'm going to say on that's one of the roots relationships. I'm going to say in the roots relationships, how are your people like your significant others, whether that's your children, your spouse, your, your key friendships, your family, how are they? Cause those are the people who aren't impressed. <laughs> I mean you need them close right now. Mm. I mean, you need them close. And the other roots relationship that may not have been as relevant, but may be more in this, in this cultural moment would be, are there, who are the practical hands-on people helping your whole life work? You know, um, is there some help that you can get that's helping educate your kids? That's helping with the house, all of those things that are, that are employing somebody. So my first job was, was as a cleaner for a few years, um, when I was a teenager and, um, And so I'm not saying this in some kind of, oh, isn't it a wonderful thing to do? I'm just saying practical life requires things. And if it can lift the load and the stress and the pressure to a way that it it changes how you talk to one another, pay the money, friend. Do you know what I mean? Just pay, pay the money and get it done. So those are some of the roots ones. In terms of... Um, um, so th- yeah, those are three for the roots relationships, but in terms of the relationships that give you wings, um, those are the ones that help us fly, help us soar into mm-hmm. our God given calling. Um, so there are t- two stroke three that I'm going to recommend. One would be professional peers. Now is not the time to compete with your professional peers. Now is the time to collaborate with your professional peers. Now is not the time to do the one-up man or woman ship with your professional peers, but to be, build a brain trust with your professional peers. Um, to say, what are you learning? I, um, what are you discovering? To be that kind of generous leader who's saying, look, this is what I've discovered as a resource. You know, this is crisis mode. We ain't got time for you competing. That I mean, what. It's not like there ain't enough people to go around. There are 300 million in America. So, um, (laughs) do you know what I mean? So it's like, um, who are the professional peers who can give you insight and wisdom and perspective? I encourage you, particularly in this moment, diversify. If every one of your professional peers looks like you, sounds like you, votes like you, is like you, you ain't going to have what you need. Mm -hmm. You ain't going to have what you need. Those are, uh, I'm not trying to be harsh, actual factuals. The world, the world is changing fast. Um, and then I, so that's one. Then I would say the other ones that give you wings are, um, your men, Oh, it's kind of maybe three really. How many can I fit in? Okay. The, the people who, the mentors in your life, the mentors and the sponsors, I would say this particularly for women, but not exclusively for women. Now mentors get, I think I read this in Harvard business review. Mentors give you wise advice. Sponsors get you to the next level. Who are the people around you who are helping you get to the next level of your leadership who are, that you and um and for those of you who don't need that maybe you're the sponsor <laughs> who you're going to sponsor so maybe part of you having wings is actually helping somebody else soar because there are like we said we need innovations there are people who are going to be transformed by the flames of this year who will give us something fresh for the years to come Maybe the ideas won't come from us. <laughs> Maybe the ideas will be that those who are in the trenches right now. We may not even know their name, but will we be secure enough to raise them up? Hmm. Will, we, will, we be, um, w- will we be generous enough to invest in them? So I want to encourage us to think of those as well. The mentoring relationships, the sponsoring relationships, whether you're on the receiving end or the giving end of those.
1: Wow. Wow. And now, I'm reading here that apparently like for all of our viewers today, the thousands of people that are going to watch this, that you can um, download the uh, Joe's free ebook on the five relationships that every leader needs. You can download that from her website. So I would encourage you to go, I'm going to do that straight after. I'm serious. You need to speak to our staff sometime in this because that is goal stuff, that roots and wings. Oh my goodness. I wish I'd have thought of that. See, see you Londoners, you're very smart. Very, very smart.
2: <laughs> it's the water. It's the water. <laughs> Stanley, it's been through seven people. It does stuff to you.
1: Oh yeah, through the Thames. Yeah. Um, Joe, thank you so much for today. I'm sure that, I mean, I've seen the comments just flying in down below. Thank you so much for being with us. I just feel that what we're getting from you is that authenticity. We're getting leadership gold. We're getting great advice. And uh, feel like this, when we can all do that flying stuff again and we are meeting at thousands, we cannot wait to have you back at Thrive. Thank, and you.
2: thank you. It's been an honour <laughs> to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: No problem. And to everyone that's watching today, thank you for joining with us from uh, locally, uh, nationally and internationally. And make sure to jump in next week, this year with Pastor Ray. Um, I've known Pastor Ray now for well, over a decade. And when he speaks into this stuff on you know, separating church and hate and avoiding election infection. You need this in your life personally. Uh, Your church, your organization needs to hear this stuff. It's stuff that our country needs to hear. It is bang on relevant for us. It's out of the ancient scriptures into contemporary culture, and you're going to thoroughly, thoroughly benefit from it next week. So God bless you all in all that you do. Take care again once more. Joe, thank you so much for being with us today. God bless
0: thank you well there you go thank you again to Joe Saxton for joining us here on the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast thanks to Andrew McCourt for stepping in uh, we've got two two subs going so Ray we we don't know where you are but we appreciate you uh, giving us your platform to be able to uh, impact leaders and be able to, to uh, spend some time hopefully again adding value to you that's our goal here on the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast we want to add value to you we want to help you to be a healthy leader. That way you can lead a thriving church and a thriving organization. So on behalf of the entire team, I'm Brad Lominek. thanks for listening. And we will talk to you again on the next episode.